Welcome to Bethel Brandon Sunday Message. Please head over to our website, BethelBrandon.ca, to figure out how we can best serve you. I'm going through a time. Sometimes, sometimes there's there's times where where I will be speaking, and, and there's just a direction in terms of uh, of well, I you know God has led me in this particular direction, and and there are certain times when I pray, and the reason that are, are preached in a certain manner is because God is doing something in my heart. And sometimes what takes place is that as God is moving in my heart, I'm figuring that if I'm feeling this way, that there probably are other people in the congregation. So, so many times it kind of goes through the filter uh, of my heart. And this is kind of the summer. This is what kind of had happened to me. And I'm just going to kind of be closing off the, uh, the series of sermons that I would kind of call Thrive. It, it stems from a question that I've been asking myself. Am I, am I thriving or am I just surviving? And I don't just want to survive. I believe that God wants every follower of Jesus to thrive. So my prayer this morning for you, whether you are online, whether you are in the balcony, or whether you are on the, the main level today, is that you leave this place hungry under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Because when we are hungry, we become passionate and almost desperate to do something. Have you ever been really, really hungry? I'm talking about really hungry. Something happened, maybe you were on the end of a fast or something, and you know that you're going to eat, and you are so hungry that you almost become desperate. That's kind of the, the level of hunger I'm talking about, but on a spiritual level. Jesus' own words are this. I have come that you might have life more abundantly, or life to the full. Now, what he didn't say is, listen... I am coming so that you might have life. But I'm just going to tell you that it's only going to be at certain moments when the time is perfect for you to have life. He didn't say that, did he? He didn't speculate as to the fact that there are going to be times where it's going to be impossible to have this life. But when things are going perfect for you, I'm going to give you life. He never ever said that. He talked about life despite the situation, despite the circumstance, despite the emotional, physical health that you might be in. And let me just say this off the start, if I could, because I'm not too sure. I haven't had a chance to go and get to know everybody here all that well, and there are many people who watch online. That if you don't know Jesus, it is impossible to thrive in the way that I'm talking about this morning. You might be able to thrive in your business. You might be able to thrive in other areas. But what the Bible says is this. That anybody who does not know God is dead in their trespasses and their sins. And so in order to thrive, you need to know Jesus. You need to ask him to forgive your sins. You need to ask him to come in. You need to be a passionate follower of Jesus. And when Jesus comes in... He says he promises to bring life to the utmost, life to the, the fullest. And, and so that is my prayer. That's my prayer for myself. That's my prayer for you today. And I'm trusting that maybe this resonates from my heart through the word of God to you as well. Have you ever heard of the term failure to thrive? 
If you heard it, now that basically, and, and I am not an expert, okay? So, so um, forgive me if I'm off a little bit. This is a term which is used often in the medical community, particularly in the pediatrics unit. If they say that a child is failing to thrive, what they're basically saying is, hey, there's this kind of, kind of zone where health is for kids as they grow, and, and, and somehow this child is not within this zone. They should be this tall at this time, or they should be doing this at this particular time. And when they're not in that zone, they become worried, and they're talking about this term, which is called failure to thrive. I often think that there is in the church and within our own soul the danger of failing to thrive, to be able to grow the way God calls us to throw. So let me ask you, as you look at your life, are you thriving? Can you honestly say, I am thriving? Or are you at a point where you're saying, God, I need to thrive again? Put me back in the place where I was thriving before because something has happened. And if that's, if that's the way you're feeling, this sermon is for you today. Now, as I've taken a look and studied this and looked over a few of the scriptures, I've kind of seen a pattern in, in believers that I've seen through scripture. Now, the wonderful thing about the Bible is that there are very few perfect people in the Bible, and, and the Bible does not hide the flaws of individuals. But there were individuals that kind of excelled that we take a look at. We think of someone like Daniel, who thrived despite the situation that he was in. He was living in captivity. And he was so passionate for God that it affected the whole country where he was in. And it got him into trouble sometimes. It got him into lion's dens. But despite the situation that was going on, the terrible circumstances that he was in, he thrived. Enoch. Now, we don't know a lot about Enoch. Basically, it is this. Enoch walked with God, and God took him. This guy so passionately followed God. And we don't have the details, but God just took him. It's the only instance that we see or we hear. How about Joshua? Joshua takes over for Moses, does all these wonderful things. And as he is talking to the, the Israelites, he says this. Hey, you have life, and you have death before you, and you can choose whatever way you wish to go. But the key statement that represents Joshua's life, do whatever you want. But as for me, in my house, what? We're going to serve the Lord. He was passionate about serving God, and he was deliberate, and he fiercely had attempts to draw near to God. Will you dare to draw near to God? You take a look at the New Testament church. And it certainly wasn't perfect. But even past the days of the first apostles into the history, if you take a look at the history, the first 400 years of the church, it exploded. And that was in the midst of terrible persecution, terrible things that were going on that was taking place. And they had almost taken over things by the year 400. They thrived in the midst of whatever circumstance that they were going through. And I just say this, we can do that as well. Now, there's a passage of Scripture, one that I would like to leave you as I kind of go on to other things. It's found in James chapter 4, verse 8. And uh, this is the half-brother Jesus talking. And uh, James didn't mix words too much, did he? And so I wanted to focus on this particular verse because I think it has something to say to us today. 
about the idea of daring to draw near to God, to passionately thrive in our walk, no matter what you are going through. And it says, draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. This isn't an obscure verse, isn't it? How many have read that verse? You guys kind of remember that from doing your devotions. That's kind of, a, that's kind of one that is, is familiar to all of us. Now, as we get into this, this is kind of a discourse that James is having with some of the early church that were struggling in their walk. But here's a couple things I want you to notice before we get in. If you take a look at the context. Um, the verse talks, this verse talks about three things. But if you take a wider look from James chapter 4, verse 6 to James chapter 4, verse 10, there are actually 10 things that he talks about. In the original language, they're, they're done in what is called the aorist form. And, and so basically what they were saying is to continue to do this, not just do them, but to continually do them. And, and one of the, the, the main things about this verse is there's, there's a kind of famous verse before it which says, Submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And so it is meant in the aorist tense in the original language. It's perfectly done because it says, I don't want you to do this. I want you to do this continually. You need to continually submit yourself to God. You need to continually resist the devil because he will flee from you. And when you hear the fact that it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you, we realize that there's something about spiritual battle. Because he wouldn't say to resist the devil if there wasn't something to be resisted. That's an important thing to understand that as he's talking about there, here is a kind of battle that we are in. Because I honestly believe with all of my heart that when it comes to the house of God, when it comes to believers in Jesus, that Satan does not want you to thrive. I think that Satan will do everything he can to keep you spiritually depressed, spiritually lethargic, spiritually offended. And James recognizes this, and he confronts it. The other thing about this passage of Scripture is this. If you take a look at James chapter 4, verse 6, and James chapter 4, verse 10, he says, humble yourselves. So he starts the discourse with humble yourself, ends the discourse with humble yourself. And so it's kind of like a humble sandwich. Have you ever had a humble sandwich? Sometimes they don't taste very good. But you can kind of see this passage of scripture with one piece of bread, humble bread, and another piece of humble bread, and all of the meat and everything is inside of it. And this is smack dab in the middle. And so if you give me a couple minutes, and my trust is that the Holy Spirit will speak to your heart in and through this. That this passage of Scripture pretty well divides itself into three things, doesn't it? Three things that, that I think this tells us about thriving. The first thing is this. First thing he talks about is to what I call pursue. To pursue after God. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. What does James mean by this? As you take a look at it, it says this, to do everything in your power to draw close to God. In other words, to actively, continuously pursue Jesus. And if you actively, continually pursue Jesus, there is a reciprocal effect that God can't help 
but draw near to you. Now you take a look at that term, draw near. It actually comes from a Greek word which says ingasate. And as you take a look at the times that it has been used in Scripture, there are some commentators who say this. That this term to draw near is kind of the same term that they used when the priest would enter in to the Holy of Holies. Could you imagine that? Can you imagine how a priest would feel as he begins to enter into the place where the presence of God is? It's not something you take lightly, is it? Something which is absolutely hallowed. Something which is, is, is important. And, and as you read the verse before, which says, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It is almost like a combination. As I push myself away from what Satan is trying to do, I'm going to do everything in my power to draw close to Jesus. And I think, I think that this is done a number of ways. Of course, it is in the times that we commune with God. It's through the times that we pray. It's through the times that we are in his words. It's those times where we sit quietly before, before the Lord. I don't know if there's any secrets in terms of what we need to do to draw close to Jesus. We just need to passionately do it as a priority. But here's the thing that I found. That even though there are common things, he just doesn't put it in a way that this is the way you have to do it. Here is, here is the method, and this is the way you do it. The way I draw close to Jesus might be totally different than the way you draw close to Jesus. Isn't that true? Have you found that to be true? If I said this is the way you get to, to, to draw close to Jesus, you got to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning. You need to have your Bible before you. You need to have this music playing. has to be Amy Grant. I don't know. I don't know why Amy Grant came into my head. I'm, I'm uh, like aging myself, am I not? <laughs> that for some of us, we get up early in the morning and that's the time where it is best for us. The best part of my day is first thing in the morning or the best time of my day is late at night or the best time. And it talks about it all the way through the day. Sometimes I get closer to Jesus if I kind of go off to my side and I begin to listen to worship music. Or maybe as I walk through nature, maybe as I go through a walk, or maybe as I'm riding my bike, or there's one place that I go to all the time to pray and seek the Lord. I just have that place, and as soon as I find that place, and it's kind of a spot in my home, or it's the kind of spot somewhere that, that I find in the park, a bench or somewhere where I go, and as soon as I sit down, I know it's business time with God. And what works for you may not work for me, but what works for me may not work for you. But the thing is this. The spirit of that passage is this. Do everything you can to draw as close to Jesus as you possibly can. Go beyond the talk. Don't talk about the fact that I should pray. Don't talk about the fact that I should read a word. Don't talk about the fact that I should, should silently sit before the Lord and gather from him or whatever way God has put in you uniquely before you, him and yourself. The thing is you need to passionately pursue it and passionately guard it because when I continually do it, if it's something that I continually do, then God moves in my life. Passion arises. I begin to thrive. There's an author who was talking about the emotionally healthy disciple. And, uh, and what he talked about as he was, was studying this, he says, I found for people, monks and people who just devoted their life to Jesus and people who are extremely spiritual people, he said, what happens? He found, he found that in a majority of them, they had what was called a rule of life. 
In other words, they said, these are the things that make me draw close to Jesus and I make sure that they are the part of my day, everything, every time. I discipline them. They are so important to me that I make sure that they are in my life every day. And in doing that, I don't become a Pharisee, but what I do is I put the things which are necessary for me to draw closer to Jesus in my heart every day, to draw near. Just like I would be drawing myself into the Holy of Holies as a priest would, to pursue him. Amen? The other one is this, to purify well, that was a pretty easy one. It already starts with the letter P. You know, it kind of works perfect for me to do that. But he says, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Right? That term double-minded is only used twice in the New Testament. And it is both times used in reference to James. James starts off, he says, a double-minded man or double-minded person is unstable in all their ways. But here he's referring to it in terms of purity. And when I think of purity, I just think of the process of, 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 of being pure before God and, and, and completely pure before him. Why does he add the term double-minded? Purify your heart, you double-minded. Well, the inference is that the heart becomes impure when it is in competition with God. In other words, get rid of all the things that have crept in and threatened to be God in your life. Have you ever done a study of all the revivals that took place in the Old Testament? And one common degree that you will often find is this. That the first thing that had to happen was they had to get rid of their idols. Very hard for revival to happen if there's idols in the land, isn't there? I think it was John Calvin, famous theologian that said this. He said, the heart is an idle factory. <laughs> the heart is continually trying to work to produce other things to compete with God. Tim Keller, recently deceased, he defines uh, idolatry or an idol in, in this way. He says, an idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything that you seek to give you what only God can give. Anything that is so central and essential to your life that should you, that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. In other words, an idol is a counterfeit God. And there's something about the fact that we need to weed them out and sometimes they are hard to weed out. What is the thing that you also have your mind on other than God? That can be hard, don't you think? Because sometimes idols have a way of camouflaging themselves, don't they? They have a way of making themselves look like the rest of the horizon. And sometimes we become voluntary blind, voluntarily blind to idols because, let's face it, it seems like a nice accessory to me, for me to have in my life. And, and after a while, I can find myself justifying their existence. And, and many times, you know, those idols, they can kind of wrap themselves in a religious shroud, can't they? Make themselves look awfully good. Make themselves look awfully pious. And sometimes the idol is the religion itself. 
and we need to be careful of that. Many times their permanence makes us blind to their existence. But the roots of idolatry can go deep. And the question I ask myself is, how deep am I willing to go? How far am I willing to look at my life to see those things that are competing for God in my life? Because as long as they're there, I won't thrive. See, the thing is, we have these idols, and for some reason we think that we can kind of keep them there in the back room or maybe in the front room, I'm not too sure, and we think that we'll still be able to go on the way that we are. But the way and the nature of God is this, and Scripture has taught us this, that when idolatry comes part of the situation, God just says, hey, this is your last chance. He doesn't say that. He just leaves. And so here we are with this other idol in my life, and we think that God is there as well, but God has left a long time ago. And in those times when we fail to thrive, we all of a sudden realize that there is something which is in competition. And if the presence has left your life, it may be because an idol has arrived in your life. What is the biggest competition to God in your life? Purity. The third one I think is interesting. First thing is to pursue. The other one is to purify. The third thing is this, to put off, to, to, um, to put out, to purge from your soul. Last thing he says, or the other thing that he says is, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Now, let me see, show you something here in this particular verse. When it talks about hands, many, talks about, many times it talks about the things that we do. Remember when Jesus was talking and he makes this huge, this huge um, statement. He says, if, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. Better getting into heaven with your eye plucked out than, than to, to you know, go to hell fully bodied. And, and he talks about your hand and your foot. Cut it off, right? Remember that passage? You're like, whoa, right? Well, the eye represents what you look at. Your feet represents where you go. Your hand represents what? What you do. What you're doing. And so you're left with the impression that he's talking about Clean yourself of the things that you are doing. And this can be obvious, or I think that it can be obscure as well. It could be talking about stealing and anger and lust and pride and slander and all those things that we fight, those sins that are out front, the sins that we know about, the sins that aren't debated at all. It is anything, any action that robs us of God's blessing to cleanse us from whatever is robbing us because whatever is robbing us, I believe, is sin. And this is particularly important in the day and the age that we live in. Because I believe that we are suffering from some things like no other time in human history. And, and they, are, they are things that perhaps our parents never had to deal with. And if the, if the pattern continues to go, I believe that it'll be even harder for our children and for our grandchildren if we don't notice it. It's important for us to understand this. And I believe that there are some areas, in one particular area, where we are, we are harassed and tempted and embattled like no other time in human history. Let me just say this. We talk about idolatry, and we basically have an idea of what 
idolatry is. Like it's another God in your life. But have you ever heard of the term, and I believe I have it on, on the thing. You ever heard of idolatry? Idolatry is not a word. No, it's not. But it is, it is something which, when I say idolatry, I would imagine you kind of know what I'm talking about. Because I think all of us battle with idolatry. It is the wasting of our excess time with unfruitful, monotonous, unbeneficial activities. And we lose out on the things that God has for us. So what happens is I get on with my day and I do a few of the things that I need to do at work and I come home and I'm tired and, and I've been kind of studying about God all day. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go over my emails and my text messages and my instant messages and my WhatsApp and whatever app you might have to communicate to people. And after that, I need to take a look at all the newest things on YouTube. And then from there, whatever social media you have, the online gaming, i got to play my daily game of Sudoku because, you know, you need to get my, keep my brain sharp for those things. And whatever it's Candy Crush or or Yahtzee, or whatever it is. And after I've done that and gone through trivial activities and talked about the newest things to, to do little to nourish my soul, I burn away valuable hours. And then when I get to bed after looking one last time at my social media, I say, oh God, I forgot to read the word. I forgot to pray. Oh God, you'll understand. And so what has happened is I spent hours reviewing mindless scrolling and only spent five minutes in prayer, given the worst part of my day. And idolatry is when the trivial eats away the intimacy to the point that we no longer feel or experience the presence of God. Have you ever experienced idolatry? Is it considered a sin to squander my time? Have you ever heard of the term zombie scrolling? Perhaps you've done some zombie scrolling. It's not dead people scrolling. No, it's not. It is mindless scrolling, putting your, your brain in neutral, going to the next feed, to the next news article, the next thing, who beat who and what sport, all those things which take place. And it just goes on to the point where we, we miss out on the things that God has for us. And then we need to go into what's called a digital detox to figure it out. Just looking at some statistics. And those people who live in this part of the country or this part of the hemisphere, most of us have three or five devices that we have to do this. 71% of us sleep with the device in our hand or within hand's reach. 85% of us reach for it first thing in the morning. 50% of us take it to the toilet with us. 10% use it during times of physical intimacy with their spouse. Okay, now you're getting into that's too much info, Pastor Mike. How do I employ a digital detox that will help me find God again? Do I just cut it in half? Do I just say, I'm only going to do this half of the time? 
For some people, the statistic is that they spend up to three months a year wasting their time. And so when James talks about the fact that you need to pursue God, you need to draw near to him, you need to do everything in your power to draw near him and, and purify your heart because there are other things that can compete with God. Get rid of the double mindedness focus only on God and cleanse yourself of all those things that are robbing me. And when that happens and when you get to that point, then God can be able to thrive in your heart like he did before. Again, he says in, in, in James 4, 6, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And in verse 10, he says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. And that's the one thing that hit me. I've read, I've read the book of James. I had the book of James memorized. And I never ever noticed the fact that there is that element of humility in that section, that passage of Scripture and there's something about humility that plays a part in really getting to know Jesus. Getting yourself to a position where you say, God, I really don't have it all together. It's kind of like the secret sauce of intimacy with God. It's like the spiritual bankruptcy that you come to that creates an intense hunger for God. Humility strips us of self dependence so that we can finally experience God. You ever prayed that prayer? God strip me of self-dependence. It's a dangerous prayer, isn't it? But something that might just free us to know him more. To know him more. I think it was Martin Luther that said this. God always creates something from nothing. And so, in order for him to move in our lives, he needs to bring us to the realization that we are nothing so that he can do something fresh and new in us. So let me ask you the question again. As I ask it myself, as a passionate follower of Jesus that desires to thrive no matter what situation is, whether things are going well or whether they're not, or whether I'm dealing with the side effects of COVID or whether I'm not, or whether I'm facing financial ruin or whether I'm not, or whether I am dealing with a physical issue or whether I'm not. To thrive. To really thrive. I believe that all of us want to thrive. But here's the thing that I have found of me. And maybe you have found it of yourself. That in order to thrive, I have to go through a comfort zone that I have to venture past. Have you ever had that? That there's this kind of relaxed state of mediocrity that is kind of comfortable and I don't get all of God that God wants me to have. And I have other things in my life that kind of make me happy and so sometimes I will choose to settle. A blissful semi-infectiveness. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure if I studied hard enough, I could probably put a, a 
pretty good sermon together for the people. And, and, if, and if I just kind of went my own way and kind of enjoyed things the way we are, I could, I could probably do it this way till I get to heaven. Realizing that God wants more of me, that I have to, I have to pass through that little corridor of comfort and say, no, I would rather be uncomfortable and God has all, the, all of me. Does that make sense to you? Because I believe that that's what God is asking of me. That there's more. And the question is do this. Am I willing to pay the price to get there? God, I just pray that you will move in all of our lives in a time where all of us are hungry to thrive, to have all of you in our lives, to truly see the presence of God moving and dealing with our lives every single day where we don't settle for that station that Satan wants us to be, where we can kind of we can kind of enjoy an aspect of God and the rest of the things that are going on. And God, you want to give us more. I pray, Father, for the power of the Holy Spirit to make us hungry in such a way that we leave this place today saying, God, I want to thrive. And if it costs me comfort, then so be it. Because I want all of you, I want your presence to flow fully through me. So God, I pray that you will do that. I pray, Father, that you will create that hunger in us, oh God, and it will cause us to change. It'll cause us to fall on our face and seek you with all of our heart. Just like your word says, the part of the great commandment, you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. Let that be me, God. Let that be me. Whatever it takes, oh God, help me to thrive. I pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message. If you enjoyed it, please head over to BethelBrandon.ca to listen to our older messages or maybe connect with us and figure out how we can best serve you. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.